Let us pray together. We thank you, gracious God, for your word to us. We thank you for those who were inspired by your Holy Spirit to share their hearts, to share their hearts illuminated by your Holy Spirit so that we can be guided in our walk with you. And we pray thanking you that your Holy Spirit inhabits your word as it is presented this day. And we pray that you by your Holy Spirit would open our eyes and open our ears and open our hearts to receive what you have for us this day in your word. We pray that our lives would be changed, that we would become closer followers of you, of your word, by the power and presence of your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I'm looking, we're looking today at Psalm 42. It's a psalm to the soul. Uh, and as we are in our series on soul keeping and looking at our souls and how we can keep our souls in right fellowship with God, I found this to be an appropriate place uh, to look for guidance from God's word. Psalm 42, and I'll also be reading Psalm 43, which is not uh, in your bulletins. As I did my research this week, I was told by those who are experts that you should not read Psalm 42 without Psalm 43, so I'll do it. For the director of music, a masculine of the sons of Korah, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one, with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God." Vindicate me, my God, and plead my cause against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. You are my God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. There was an exercise in some of the older Presbyterian confirmation materials that I uh, used, and the exercise we used on our um, weekend retreat 
And the exercise went like this. You'd pair up with someone, and then you'd ask them the question, who are you? And they would respond something about themselves. And then they would ask you, who are you? And you would respond something about yourself. And then you would have to ask the question again and ask for a different answer. And then it kept going. And you kept going until it got uncomfortable. When you were forcing people to think more deeply about who they are. Often we get answers like, I'm a soccer player, I'm a straight-A student. That was usually from the B students, but anyway, the, we, we, we taught truth-telling a little bit later in the confirmation course. Um, they would say things like, I'm a son, or I'm a daughter, or I'm a brother or sister, I'm an aunt, an uncle, and it, just all these things. And the, the point of the exercise was how we identify ourselves. And the hope of the exercise was that at some point they would answer that they are a child of God, that they have at least as part of their identity that they are connected to God. Now, my opinion is that for those who are in Christ, that fact should be our primary place of identity. When someone asks, who are you, your answer should be, I am a son or daughter of God, or I am a believer in Jesus Christ. And what the exercise also pointed out was all of the things, all of the ways we invest ourselves in one thing or another. Now, in our book that we've been reading and looking at in our small groups and I've been trying to process in the sermons, um, John Ortberg writes uh, very passionately about the difference between the self and the soul. And that is a, a difference that isn't very clear to many of us at first reading. I've had a number of people um, respond that this is a hard concept. How do I understand this difference between the self and the soul? And I'm going to try to explain it, but I want you to understand that you might not fully get it because it is rather complex. But if you don't get it today, keep listening and you will get it. I remember as a kid, I kept trying to learn to dive uh, off the diving board, and my belly got very red because I couldn't get past the belly flop concept. And uh, the idea, you know, what I wanted to do was say, I'm not doing this anymore, it hurts. But what my parents encouraged me to continue doing was keep trying. And then the, I remember that first dive when, you, when I realized how you have to push and how you have to aim, and I felt it. And I got it. Well, that's how a lot of this learning will be for us. It may take a while, but you will get it if you keep at it. Enough about that. Well, about the process. But now I'm going to get into the process. Um, and Ortberg mentions a, a scholar named Martin Sullivan who wrote a book. And in the book, he said that we, and this, this scholar is not a believer, not someone with any kind of uh, religious background, but he sees as he looks at our culture and uh, the psychology of uh, the people he works with, he says, we have replaced church, faith, and community with a tiny unit that cannot bear the weight of meaning. That tiny unit is the self. We're all about the self. Ortberg says, if you're stressed, 
What do people tell you? Take care of yourself. In an interview, we're told, believe in yourself. If you want to, well, if you're in the tattoo parlor, you're trying to express yourself on your arm or your face or somewhere else. When you're criticized, you're told to love yourself. If you're on a date, you're told to be yourself. But then Ortberg wonders, well, what if yourself is a train wreck? Are you to be yourself on this date if you're really a train wreck? Well, of course, are we ever really ourselves? There's a lot of, of work in our culture, in our, in our society, about, around the work of self-actualization, of self-fulfillment. We're told that the self is where we find our meaning and our purpose. And John Ortberg uh, and the scholars that um, precede him say, that does not work. And if you look at our culture... And you see what happens when people focus in on themselves as the primary place of meaning and purpose. You see that it doesn't work. Sadly, young people growing up in this culture so focused on the self have greater dissatisfaction with themselves than in other times in history. And that's just not me as a grumpy old man saying, oh, kids these days. That is proven by the, by the, um, commu the psychological community, the, the researchers. There is a problem, but we've not identified the problem for what it is as a culture. We still say, keep self-actualizing. Keep trying to find yourself. That's the key. And yet, that key does not unlock the door. For Ortberg says, there is a difference between the self and the soul. And the soul is what we need to focus on. Ortberg says the soul is a very hungry thing. The soul is a very thirsty thing. The soul has a lot of desire. And that desire we keep trying to fill. And we try to fill it in many ways with many different things. And it, it, in a relationship, in more stuff, in, in a... Um, a job or some sort of status. We keep trying to fill ourselves, thinking we're filling ourselves, trying to fill actually our souls, and it doesn't work. You know why? Because the soul is created for God, and only God can satisfy the hunger of our souls. Now, if you know um, much Christian music of the last few decades, you, you know that these first few verses were made into a song, as the deer pants for water, so my soul pants for you, O God. It's a lovely, lovely little tune, a favorite of many. As the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longeth after thee. Beautiful, right? But if you were to actually translate the mood of this psalm into music, it would be that shouting kind of rock and roll, rock and roll, oh my goodness, how old am I? Shouting kind of music that you hear. As the deep and the water, so my soul longeth after thee. That's really the mood here, folks. It is, it is a, a huge, guttural, 
desperate cry. It's not a little deer prancing through the forest, going to its little stream that it always goes to and finding water and saying, ah, that's how I feel about God. It's a deer that has gone to the stream that it normally goes to and the stream is dried up and the deer is continually looking for a new source of water and dragging itself through the forest trying to find something to satisfy the huge thirst inside of it saying, my soul needs water. And that's how the psalmist felt about God, that, that desperate need. And it's interesting in this psalm, and that's why um, you're to read Psalm 43 with it, because there, is, there are two verses, or, well, there's a verse that is repeated three times, exactly the same words. You'll find it in verse 5, in verse 11, and in verse 5 of Psalm 43. And that is, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. God is the answer to the hunger of our souls. In the shepherd's psalm, Psalm 23, David writes, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. And Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. It is your soul that is seeking satisfaction. It is your soul that leads you to try to find satisfaction in any number of things. But remember, your soul was created for God. And that satisfaction is never found in anything apart from God. We may feel pretty satisfied one day, maybe in our looks, which are fleeting. And if you notice the people that try to keep their looks through surgeries or whatever else, the rest of the world is seeing that that does not work, right? It makes you look worse a lot of the times, right? Our looks are fleeting. Our, our minds, maybe, maybe you're a very intelligent person. You get your sense of satisfaction from how intelligent you are. And I've known a number of people who have had dementia, and so many of them seem to be the more intelligent among us. The mind can go. Appearance can go. Your financial resources can go. A relationship can end. All of those things that we think are filling our souls and do so to a degree, but never to the full, can be stripped away in an instant. But God is everlasting, and God truly fills our souls. 
And that's what the psalmist understands. That's why the psalmist cries out that his soul would find God. In, at Christmas time, we sing a, a hymn or we listen to a hymn uh, that's often done as a solo, O Holy Night. And I've heard this many, many times, many, many Christmases. But there's a line in it that Ortberg points out that is powerful once you really listen to it. Till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. The appearance of Jesus Christ, God coming to be among us, God restoring us to relationship with himself, allows our souls to find their worth. So what do we do? If we know that our souls are where we find satisfaction in God, how do we nurture our souls? And Tim Keller um, preached a sermon about this uh, passage, and he said there are a few things you have to do. First, you need community. Look at verse 4. Um, I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty, mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. In other words, he used to have people that he worshiped with. He used to have people that encouraged him in his soul work, and those people weren't around anymore. Now, I I'm sort of like the psalmist in that regard. I have had seasons in my life where I had friends around me that really encouraged me, really helped me uh, feed my soul. And then I move away or they moved away or something happened that we're no longer together and I think, well, I can't, I can't nurture my soul as well anymore because they're not here. And a song that my sister brought home from Girl Scout camp enters my mind. Make new friends and keep the old. One is silver and the other gold. I don't see any Girl Scouts nodding, but uh, for you, if you had, oh, there you go. Um, and, and I always thought, well, yeah, the, the new friends are the silver ones and the old friends are the gold ones, and I think that's how the song was meant to be understood. But maybe it would be wise for us to understand it a different way. Maybe the old friends are silver and the new friends are gold. In other words, we need people right now, we need people wherever we are to encourage us and to value the people right with us and still value those from before, but know that we need people now. So seek out community. That's why we're, we've made small group ministry a part of this Lenten discipline so that we can get to know each other and encourage each other. So first, we need to find community. Second, we need to be honest with ourselves and with God. And that's the beauty of this psalm. The psalmist is a leader in the church. He's a worship leader, and yet willing to say to the whole community, my heart is downcast. I'm not finding God right now. I'm desperate. And Devin will tell you that on weeks that I preach on a passage like this, somehow or another, and I don't know why it happens almost every time, and I never recognize it until later in the week, I deal with the very same feelings as the psalmist is dealing with. I didn't even know. But the beginning of this week, my soul was downcast. I couldn't find any connection with God. And I'm a preacher, right? 
That's why I appreciate John Ortberg so much. He's so honest in, in his presentation, saying where he's struggling. And I'm like, I do too, but I didn't know we were allowed to tell people. And the psalmist tells us we can tell people. You can't really grow unless you're honest. And honesty with yourself and with God, pouring out your soul is the way through a time like this. Another thing that people often do is if they're going through a dry season with God, they say, well, my quiet times, my devotional times, my prayer life doesn't really matter because I don't feel anything. Going to church is boring now, and I don't feel anything. So I'm going to stop those activities and just maybe hope that the feelings come back, and when the feelings come back, then I'll go back to those activities. That is a, a, a mistake. Because it is in those times that God might speak. It is in the, the worship with other believers. It is in your small group that God might be desiring to speak to you. Don't stop. Continue allowing God opportunities to speak to you. And all those things, even though you might not feel them at the time, are feeding your soul. Seek out community. Be honest with yourself. Oh, and being honest with yourself. First, check for sin in your life because sin does block our sense of God's presence with us. Now, it's interesting in this psalm, there is no sin mentioned, so it's not always something sinful that's, that's blocking you, but sometimes it is. But often, when you are dealing with a time like this, check where you've put your hopes. Tim Keller says, spiritual dryness reveals inordinate loves and false hopes. In other words, reveals where we are putting our hope that is not in the right place, and then we can step back from that and step toward God. And then, once you have acknowledged this, shift your hope. That's why the psalmist repeats this phrase, my soul Put your hope in God. The psalmist talks to, preaches to his own soul. Put your hope in God. And we find ourselves putting our hope in one thing or another or being disappointed in one thing or another. And the answer is, soul, put your hope in God. Preach to yourself. And all of this is a very deliberate process. And it's not just to make sure our souls are ready for a challenging time that's ahead. It's an ongoing relationship with God through good times and challenging times. Tim Keller says that he, oh, he used to be an outfielder when he was younger, and um, he would be so focused on the game that when uh, he was in the outfield and someone got a hit, his first thought was, oh, oh, they got a hit. His second or third thought was, oh, I'm supposed to catch that. And the time he's focusing on them getting a hit was time that he lost in catching the ball. So a single might turn into a triple. His point was in saying that, that we often fail to understand that we're in the game. We fail to understand that we have responsibility in this game. And when things happen, we might get so focused on the thing that happens 
that is discouraging that we forget that we have a responsibility to respond well to what happens. So this whole process of soul keeping, the whole reason we're looking at this, this Lent, is to remind ourselves that this is a deliberate, intentional process of guarding our souls, guarding our relationships with God, so that we can experience God's presence in deeper and more meaningful ways. Let us endeavor to do just that. I'm going to switch the order of service just a bit and uh, pray congregationally first and then uh, invite the, the family up for baptism. Gracious God, thank you for your presence in our lives. We acknowledge that uh, our souls are complex. Our understanding of our souls is, is limited, but we pray that you would help us to understand more and more who we are and who you are and how we are created for fellowship with you. We pray that you, by your Holy Spirit, would draw us close to yourself, that we would have a strong sense of your goodness and your grace and be confident in your presence. We pray for those who are struggling and we pray that you would give them strength and we pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, draw them close to you, that they would find the resources they need in you. We pray thanking you for your goodness and your grace and pray that you would strengthen us to serve you more and more faithfully. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.